So Money episode 902, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Priya Milani, CEO of Stash Wealth, a live episode. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It is Friday, June 21st. It is my son's birthday. Happy birthday, Evan, turning sweet five. I'm trying to think if I can remember my fifth birthday. I can't can't remember it. So I'm really hoping that he will remember that his parents rented a theater so that he and 18 of his little friends could go see Toy Story 4. Pretty excited about that though, to be honest, as an adult. (laughs) Excited to be sitting in a theater without having to manage a birthday party, really, because they're going to be watching the big screen and there might be an occasional bathroom run, but it's a pretty relaxed birthday, if you ask me. So that is what Evan is getting for his fifth birthday. We'll take lots of photos, so there will be documentation. Today's a special episode also because we are continuing our conversation from Monday. If you listened to the episode on Monday, you know that I did an interview in front of a live audience interviewing the CEO of Stash Wealth, Priya Milani, and that aired on Monday. We did that at Luminary, which is a collaboration hub for women here in New York City. Highly recommend recommended if you haven't checked out Luminary. Anyway, at the end of our interview, we opened up the floor to audience questions and this is and this is where that live podcast continues. We have a number of questions from people in the audience from why financial advice seems to have forgotten the Gen Xers. Yeah, that was a hot topic to establishing good financial habits and setting money goals. Here's Ask Varnoosh and Priya Milani. What are some tips you can give for just daily behaviors to get better at like habitual finance, you know, just to make it more of like an ingrained habit versus like, you know, just like some daily practices that you can do? Totally. So our number, I kind of joke 10 years on Wall Street, my number one tip is automation. Like it's 2019. We're all using technology to make our life easier. Use technology to your advantage. You can automate just about every aspect of your financial life. What's really good about automation is you make progress without having to lift a finger. And just to add on to that, I would say to have a daily touch point with your money, like whether that's an app that you download that you get to check your running bank account, your, you know, not to encourage you to check your portfolio every day, but have some sort of touch point with your finances daily. Like just as if anybody was trying to maintain their weight or shed a couple of pounds, like you have to get on that scale. You have to know what the numbers are and have that be fresh and accurate in your head so that you can go about making like really healthier decisions. I would agree with that. It's really important to be mindful. But at the end of the day, once you put your financial life on autopilot, you kind of don't want to have to think about it. And really, just as long as you're living a lifestyle you can afford and you know what that means, as long as everything else is is being taken care of, you're paying down your student debt at the appropriate rate, you're um, saving for what you should be saving, what you want to be saving for. This is a big problem, I think, amongst everyone is that we all save very arbitrarily. We think about savings more in a general way. So like how many of you have a savings account? How many of you put money into your savings account every single whatever? 
how many of you move your money from your savings account right back to your checking account and use it to pay bills? So this is what happens is because we think about, we think about savings just as general savings. You need to actually know what am I saving for? Trip to Cabo, West Elm couch, whatever, like your up, whatever you want to purchase and then automate it. If you can't automate daily, uh, uh, monthly for that goal, you like just physically, there's not enough money. You have to either reevaluate your goal or reevaluate the timeline that you're trying to accomplish your goal. It's really, otherwise you're setting yourself up for failure. And then once you know you're on track and the automation's in place, ignore it. It's happening. I love my mint app though. I do. I love the net worth line. I want to just like keep looking at it. Like refresh, (laughs) refresh, refresh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Good evening, ladies. Um, Well, thank you, Farnoosh, for always hosting really good live events. I've attended a few and glad this one's going to be in a podcast. Thank you. Um, I have two questions. One, I think you've touched on before in other episodes, but again, um, being someone who's coming of age and embracing myself and not seeing that full family life, you know, husband, kids, house, car, and everything else that, you know, is, I guess, gendered for females. Um, as someone who's looking into my years ahead, um, what advice would, you know, both of you ladies um, give to, you know, the new females who don't have that in their agenda? Mm-hmm. And the second question is going back to teaching um, about finances. Um, I have three young nieces, um, eight, five, and 13 months. And I would like to do something for them. And one of the biggest things that, you know, as a struggling growing up person, money was always an issue. And something that I don't want them to go through (laughs) is having to, you know, grow up and being a girl, thinking about having a dream other than being a mommy and a wife. How and what can I do to help them? Can I answer the second one sure. first? Um, it's top of mind. It's such a cool tool for kids and it's so straightforward and you can get it on Amazon, which is where we get everything these days. Um, it's this piggy bank and it's segregated so that there's like a save, a spend, a donate, and an invest. And every time they get their allowance, doesn't matter. It's called the fairy. money savvy pig. Oh yeah, money savvy pig. That's it's my it. friend Susan Beecham. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh, it's so smart. It's yeah. so smart because they go from getting the money to no criteria, no requirement, and then all of a sudden they're faced with these decisions and having to just like think through. Because once again, the psychology I think is the biggest part that's missing on Wall Street and everywhere else uh, is just having that moment to have to think through that decision. Oh, okay, I can save some of it. I can spend some of it. I can. Donate that your money has it has more purposes, purposes, yes, exactly. And each of them leads to a different thing. And to address your first question, I mean, this that's everyone's so different, and and that's why you know financial planning is a very personal experience. Personal finances, they say, personal, right? So everyone's gonna have different goals, different idea for what you want to accomplish. There's no Help me here. I, there's just there's you don't Look, have to feel like I think I think that there's no rules. There are no rules. I think the your opportunity right now is to sit down and think about where do you want to be, and I would do it in increments in the mm-hmm. next year, yeah, in the next three years, 
five, 10, you know, you get the picture. I mean, eventually it's going to get too abstract, but, and, and I think we should have those kind of high and mighty goals. Like I want to be a millionaire one day. I want to buy a house on the beach, but like, where do you want to be this time next year? And whatever your, it. whatever your heart desires, you know, if I just kind of could create my own roadmap and I could tune, tune out all this noise, right? This noise about, oh, you got to have a house by the time you're 30, you need to have kids by the time you're 35, blah, whatever. Like, and then surround yourself with the women that you want to, that you want to emulate. I think that's really important. Finding female mentors that you feel like, wow, they're really doing life right. You know, and I want to, I want to be a part of that because I want to learn from them. I think that's really important. Like for for women, especially having mentors for me was instrumental. And as someone who knew she wanted to have kids and knew she wanted to have a career, I would seek out women who were doing that and picking their brain. Like, how did you do it? So I could reverse engineer it a little bit better for myself. Um, but I think the world, you know, sounds crazy, but the world is your oyster. It really is. And I think that the challenge is tuning out these influences. That is, I think, social norms. Hard. Absolutely. And can I throw out a quick stat about homeownership? This one's pretty mind-blowing. Um, New York Times put out an article a co- about a year and a half ago, and basically they looked at the uh, real estate industry over the last 126 years. And on average, over 126 years, homes have appreciated 0.37%. No way. Outside of bubble markets. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this 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 sort of like conventional wisdom that's passed down to us that, oh, we must own a home. Renting is throwing money away. If anyone is telling you renting is throwing money away, that is actually mathematically not true. Literally. Um, Outside so of New York don't. and San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you say that um, because Ramit Sethi, author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, he's been living in New York 10 years and he's run his own numbers and he said he could buy, but he's chosen not to. So even in a market that's known to appreciate, you know, their homeownership, it, it's not necessarily bad. It's just not necessarily an investment. And if you can realize that and go into the decision, understanding that, okay, I'm doing this for other reasons besides thinking of my home as an investment, then it might still be a good idea. And one of the things people forget about when they talk about their home as an investment is that in order for it to be an investment, in order for you to capitalize on it, you have to sell it and downsize. Who wants to do that? My parents really should, though. (laughs) Then when you get to a certain age, you don't need to do all the lawn care. Right. And the pool's a nuisance. Yeah. But I totally hear you. I think that, you know, buying a home or any really big purchase that you're told you're supposed to do, it's a a money's equation. You got to figure out the numbers. And a lot of times it doesn't work out. But psychologically, too, like, do you want to be a homeowner? Like, do you want the headache? Some people do. They love the idea of, you know, pruning their fur, whatever, their their plants and all the things. And like millennials are free birds. We're seeing a trend away from yeah. that. As part of the sharing economy, I think we're seeing a lot of millennials move away from ownership in general. I mean, we're renting Uber, our clothes, people. Right. We're renting our clothes. We don't buy cars. We use Uber. Like the whole thing. Like there's there's the we're whole We're so movement. non-committal. <laughs> and now you want us to commit to our finances? <laughs> what? Oh, look, we have a line. Okay, so come on up. You're next. Hey, Farnoosh. Hey, Priya. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's such, so special to be with two such financially savvy women. My question is twofold. Um, We talked a lot about millennials, but um, as a Gen Xer, I have to kind of go to that next generation. I'm a Gen Xer too. Gen Gen Xers unite. So my question is, um, you know, and I think you're going to see this trend also with millennials. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Um, women who waited to get married, got married a little bit later, were already settled in their career, already kind of had their nest egg, and now you're sort of combining households. You don't have that prenup, would be wonderful, you don't have it, and now you have no line of sight into your spouse's sort of financial picture. Um, so you're growing up, you know, you're, you're raising a family or you're starting a family or you're, you're sort of cohabitating with, cohabitating with someone who you have no line of sight into their finances. Do you have any sort of suggestions or advice on that? And I think it's kind of relevant to the millennials as well, because I think people are getting married a little bit older. Mm-hmm. They're already established in their careers. And perhaps you're not, you know, you're 35, you're 36, you're getting married and your spouse has his career as well. Would you have any advice? along those lines. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely should not be working in like financial silos. Uh, You know, I think that it's true though. A lot of us get married before even knowing basics about our partner. For example, how much maybe student loan debt he or she's carrying or how much, you know how many people I've met that don't know how much their spouse makes? It's perplexing. Yeah, so the stats are in the 20 is 20% of people actually know what their spouse makes. That's insane. Um, So I think that first you just have to create transparency. And how you do it is through a few ways. I mean, one is you can work with a third party. Like when my husband and I got married, we did work with a financial planner for a period of time just so that we could... um, I think it kept us accountable. It also allowed us to have this third person to kind of tell us what we needed without um, feeling like it was finger pointing, like you should do this and you should do that. But no, but the smart lady in the room with the degree told us we should open up, <laughs> you know, life insurance with this amount. So that was helpful. And it also was like a recurring meeting that we had. And that was, it was really helpful. But the other thing is like transparency as far as like, there's so many technologies out there. So merging your accounts, at least just to see where everything is. My husband and I, before we moved in together, before we got married, we met at a margarita bar and brought post-its and pens. And we wrote down, and we knew this was going to happen. We each wrote down salary, savings, investments, debt. um, And I think we each owned property, so like home values. And then we swapped at the same time. And then we took a shot and, you know. <laughs> I love this that idea. was That was just our way of doing, some, doing something that was important, but not making it feel um, draining and awkward and tough. That we went to our favorite place and we knew that we were going to start a new beginning together. This was important and that's what we did, you know. And that's how we kind of made it a little sexier and fun. I don't have much to add. That's all very accurate and very, very <laughs> smart. I, even the, tequila the tequila part makes everything better. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we we help and encourage clients to take the one team, one dream mentality because finances are like every other aspect of your relationship. You're going to tackle all these other challenges together as a couple. Why wouldn't you want to tackle your finances? And the way that we help couples to get there is to buy ha- – uh, helping them to have a goals conversation because all of a sudden it makes it less about who's saving what and who's spending what. And it's more about like, well, what are, do we care about this? Are we trying to accomplish a vacation home in seven years? Are we trying to accomplish, like, what do we want? And then all of a sudden, once you have a thing in mind, you feel more like you want to be accountable to that goal. Yeah. And exactly. And if someone's splurging more, going out of control, then you're like, Hey, just want to check in with you. Is that goal that we have to buy a vacation home still important to you? Cause if it is, this is the strategy we have to stick to. Right. And the reality is, is that uh, couples, financial opposites attract 
just Very like true. personality opposites attract, and which so is why savers, automation is important. Savers marry spenders. So you can't fuck with it. So people are like, how do I change my spouse from being a spender into a saver? And I'm like, yeah, can't. You don't. So what you have to do is, like you said, kind of identify common ground and things you can both get behind. So whether that that's that house or, you know, we just talked about don't buying a house, but maybe <laughs> it's that trip or building a business together or starting a family. Like, our, now now it's really putting our financial moves in perspective in a way that is really hitting home in a different way that's making it feel us more compelled to do the right thing. I won't introduce myself, but I had the opportunity to be on your podcast and this is a lot better. So sorry. <laughs> I think this is so cool <laughs> that you're doing it live. Um, I am a JP Morgan alumni, veteran, whatever you want to call it. I'm also a cardholder and I'm a shareholder. So keep spending <laughs> on that card. Um, but I have a question for Priya. You, I, I get the whole focus on millennials and everything now seems to be aimed at millennials, the largest transfer of wealth from the baby boomers to the millennials. What are people doing for Gen Xers? Because nobody's talking to, I'm a Gen Xer and no one's talking to this population at all. So I'd probably just give a shout out to XY Planning Network, which is a huge uh, network of financial planners uh, across the country that serve Gen X. And they're awesome. What they have, they have a really cool website where you can literally go on and like filter through exactly what you're looking for, what type of financial situation you're in, and they'll match you with a really cool financial but, planner. But why is there such a segregation of these populations? Like, I totally get the baby boomer. My parents are baby. My boyfriend's actually a baby boomer, but and and they came out of a depression area, and that's how their 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 parents and my grandparents saved. But why are we so different? We're not that much different age. I, I feel like Gen you. Xers have their shit together more. I don't know. There's that perception. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> there is that perception <laughs> that like y'all have figured it out. And then there's this other, this is the up and coming generation that has very unique, more unique circumstances, i.e. student loan debt. Um, you know, we have a crippled healthcare system. I don't care what side of the politics you're on, but like it shouldn't cost you $625 to go get a checkup if you don't have health insurance, you know? And if you're 24 years old, 25 years old, I don't know. It just, I think that there are some systemic issues that are more affecting these younger people and, that um, your generation, you know, the brand for Gen X is a lot more positive and chirpy. No, we're the forgotten generation. That's what we're not. I mean, listen to SNL, right? I, 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 that's what they say. We're the forgotten generation, just because again, we're kind of boring, right? I mean, we're we're not we're not the tra- well. I'm the tra- I'm a traveler, and I left my great job in banking after 20 years to and sink in a good way, all of my money into this company, right? So huge risk, which Gen Xers aren't normally known to do, just like the baby boomers. But I do think there is this overlap somewhere where Gen Xers can learn a lot from millennials Mm -hmm. and that's sort of what you're teaching them. And then vice versa. I think this, we got our shit together. Maybe there's like a a good way to bridge the gap somewhere. It may also just be the cycle. So Gen Y is now growing up. And now we're talking about Gen Z and seeing people are going to be like, well, what happened to Gen Y? I Millennials. So I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I get you though. I think that there is a, there's an opportunity here for someone in the audience or someone listening to create more of a ecosystem for Gen X. Yeah. Oh, and one more question. I think we have time. Let me just do a chime check. Yeah. We have time for one more question. Hi, of course. thank you so much. This has been super informative. So I have a question. Over time, I've 
opened quite a few credit cards um, and found that I prefer some over the others. Shout out to Chase Reserve. Um, so I was just curious to know your thoughts on what do you feel about closing credit cards? And then second part is how do you feel about the banks that are on- online only banks like Ally versus banks that have like storefronts? And yeah. what are your thoughts? That's a great question. Um, and definitely an area where I think millennials are making, uh, could be making smarter decisions. So when it comes to credit cards, um, people get really worked up about credit cards, like closing an old card. Honestly, if you're not going to make a big financial transaction, closing an old card is not that big of a deal. Would you agree? I would say generally, yes. However, if it's a card that has a really big credit limit, um, yeah, uh, and so- you are someone who's carrying some debt on other cards, um, it does it does mess up your debt to credit ratio. Yes. And there are very easy ways to fix that. So for example, one of my best and favorite FICO hacks is instead of paying off your credit card every single month, pay it off every single week, you will see your score pop. And actually one of the my favorite tools, it's totally free. Um, it's through Capital One. You don't have to be a Capital One customer. Do you know CreditWise? Yes. CreditWise is a really cool tool because it's a really cool app and it has a credit card simulator within it. And what it allows you to do is simulate different things. Like if I want to apply for a loan or if I close this specific card, what would that do to my credit score. And so you can make an informed decision now rather than like freaking out about like closing cards. You, you never really want to cold, close your oldest card unless you have another card that has a similar credit history. But to Farnoosh's point, um, having cards with high limits is totally fine. So if you have a card that has a high limit and there's no fee on it, and Keep that, it, open it doesn't maybe, have great reports. Yeah, stick it in a drawer. Don't use it. Or, or assign one bill to it. Maybe it's like your cable yeah. bill or your cell phone bill. Just that to pays keep automatically. It active, that pays automatically. Yep. To keep it to keep it from not falling dormant, and then they shut it off for Absolutely. you. Yeah, yeah. And are any of you guys out there using brick and mortar? checking accounts. Like once again, they were on your college campus. And so you opened up a checking account with them. So, and then you opened up a savings account. So with regards to checking accounts, it's fine wherever you keep your checking account. But when it comes to savings accounts, you really want to start utilizing online banks, online banks, because they don't have the same overhead as a brick and mortar bank, right? They don't have a bank branch. They don't have the overhead they're paying. They pay you almost right now about 220 times more in interest which is crazy. So like, let's say you're saving up for a big purchase and you have $20,000 stashed away. Maybe it's a wedding or a down payment on a home. If you kept it at a brick and mortar bank and savings account, you'd earn under 10 bucks all year. That's insulting. Um, <laughs> if you kept it at an online bank, you would earn closer to $450, which is crazy. Now I get it. You're not retiring on this money, but it's a domestic. Why would ticket. you not take that money? It's right. a couple of fancy dinners. It's it's all millennials are like, how do I make my money work harder for me? This is by far the easiest thing you can do is to move your savings from a brick and mortar bank to an online bank. And one of the cool things about online banks is they allow you to nickname your account. So Cabo Trip, Turks and Caicos, New West Elm Couch, you nickname your savings account mm-hmm. and automate your savings. Another thing about really, really nice about keeping the savings separate from your checking is it's out of sight, out of mind. So when you log in, you're not seeing your stash, you're not as tempted to move it right from your second savings account right back to your checking account using it to pay bills. Great question. Thank you. And I think that is a wrap. Thank you so much, Priya, for co-hosting and tackling all of our questions. And thank you to everybody who is in the Luminary audience. Um, We really appreciate you coming and 
It's New York. Let the sirens run. My audience knows the drill. I normally record this from my bedroom in Brooklyn, so they get it. Normally there's a child screaming in the background sometimes. Um, Such a joy doing a podcast and especially doing it live. Thank you so much. And I hope your week is so money. Thank you. Thank you.